We hope you enjoy this message from Matt Bruce, recorded at Equipus Church Dunedin. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. Wow, we're in the series at the moment, well, a month of relationships, right? A month of relationships. It's been a little bit bitsy, but that's how relationships are, aren't they? A little bit here, a little bit there. Keep working on it in the interim. Um, but yeah, we've been in relationships, and as a young adults group, we've been in a series called Meant to Be. Meant to Be, uh, and it's by Pastor Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church in Charlotte in the United States. And um, man, we've been having fun. <laughs> uh, you want to be in young adults, we've been having a lot of fun. We've been um, talking about relationships the way God meant them to be. And the subtitle for the Meant to Be series is God's Best Kept Secrets on Sex, Marriage, and Being Single. Great topics. Great topics. And um, man, there's been something happening in our young adults, which is so exciting. Uh, I've been changed by the series. I know that hopefully I'm a better husband because of the gems in this series. I, I hope that, I actually know that I've been a better friend in the last two weeks to my best mate and we've actually reconnected and actually gone after relationship again in our friendship. So good. And I hope that I've been a better pastor to the young adults. I know I've had so many conversations with our young adults and it's like, man, we've been getting real. We've been getting real. We've been, we've been talking about the, the stuff if you know what I mean, not the fluffy stuff. Hey, through life, I've found that the, the greatest predictor of, of growth is teachability. It's teachability. And I just wanted to take this time just to commend all those young adults who've, who've been part of the series and sitting there attentively and listening to things that as sometimes they've been confronting. As sometimes they've been awkward. It's like, it's sometimes even been confusing. It's like, what are we talking about? This is weird. Like, I don't want to talk about that. Come on, even sometimes it's been conflicting. It's like, wow, my life maybe isn't there yet. Or, man, I feel like yeah, I don't measure up to that. But who knows that? God's grace covers it. Yeah, but I want to commend you so much for uh, your teachability. And I know tonight, if, if you would open your heart and consider the Word of God, then, then He wants to talk to you. And I believe something significant is going to happen tonight. Amen. Amen. So we've been in the series meant to be, and we've been talking through First uh, Corinthians seven, and it's a it's a letter to the Corinthian church. It's all based around relationships and their dysfunctions and all that kind of jazz. And um, I just wanted to give you a few of the points that we've been covering in our series, just so you understand the depth of where I'm coming from tonight. Because if I just drop the message that I've prepared on you tonight, you might be like, whoa. Where did that come from? But this might uh, understand the depth of what I'm talking about. So the first point um, was that God didn't create half people. That's really small. First point, God didn't create half people. You see, your calling doesn't start once you're in a relationship and it doesn't start once you're in a marriage. God didn't create half people. He created whole people with a calling and a purpose. Paul, who wrote this letter, some say he probably was in a relationship at one stage, had a marriage, and she probably died because of the fact of his position in society. So to get to that position, he would have had to have a wife. But at the time he's writing it, he's actually, say, he's actually single, and he's saying, hey, you can be successfully single. Your calling doesn't start with a, another person. And it says, your season single dating married is a gift. Sometimes it doesn't feel like a gift. Uh, but it's a gift, and the greatest gift is that He's given you the grace you need to navigate the challenges of that season. 
That no matter what season it is, sometimes we look as a single person, we look at, at dating, we go, wow, so much better then. No, there's challenges in the season of dating. If you're dating, you're going, oh, wow, I'll, I'll get it when I get to marriage. No, there's challenges in the season of marriage. But the great news is, is that God's gracing you for the challenge of your season, your season. Number two, we talked about the questions we're asking and the issues we're facing. Who knows that, especially when we talk about relationships, we like to talk around the periphery. I've got this friend and... <laughs> he's struggling with this thing. And, and we talk about these questions that are around the periphery, but we never actually get to addressing the issues we're facing. Do you know that God wants to answer your questions, but first He might wanna heal you of your issues before He answers your questions. We've got a God who loves us and wants to heal us. Hey, we've talked about desire and duty. And I'm saying duty tonight in American accent because it just sounds funny. <laughs> duty, 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 duty. Um, and we talked about how in marriage, sex is duty. Wow, you're really quiet, guys. I thought that was a good point. We talked about how in marriage, sex is duty, that you're giving yourself over to someone and, and you're submitting yourself to that person, you're becoming one. So sex is duty, and here's the thing, duty is sexy. There was a, there was a staff member on Stephen Furtick's staff who after this message posted something on Instagram and they were like, Date night coming up, duty call. <laughs> Stephen first, I don't want to know the details of that evening, but I'll give it to them. It was clever. But duty is sexy. Come on. When you, when you fulfill your duty, it's sexy. Cool? We talked about how desire will light a fire, but duty will keep it burning. Duty will keep it burning. We talked about oversimplified struggles. What do I do with the passion that's inside of me? the fire that's inside of me. You see, we're, sometimes we're unkind to single people. We're like, hey, don't settle. Don't settle. Not the right one. Don't settle for them. But at the same time, don't sin. Don't settle. Don't sin. But what about the struggle in the middle? What do we do with the struggle in the middle? And here's the thing. God wants to help you with your struggle. In that, we talked about where to light a fire. You're like, that sounds interesting. We talked about how the desire is pure, that God placed it, but that fire can be mismanaged and misplaced. You see, when you light a fire in your fireplace at home, that fire has the potential to warm your home, right? It's like, wow, the household's warm. This is so inviting and comfortable. But what if you lit that fire in the middle of your lounge with no containment? It'll burn your house down. It'll burn your house down. So we need to know where to put our fire. And that containment, that fireplace is called marriage. Don't light a fire outside of marriage. It will burn what you've built. It'll burn what you've built. It'll be destructive in your life. But when God lights a fire in you at the correct time, it'll be like the burning bush that Moses encountered. Moses encountered this burning bush and it didn't burn out and it didn't burn up the contents. Do you know God wants to light a fire in you that doesn't burn you out, doesn't burn you up. It leaves you. The, the, the devil, the enemy wants to light a fire that's gonna burn you out. But God doesn't wanna do that. Are we getting the depth of the topics we've been talking about? Hey, we talked about the mystery of one becoming two. What happens when one becomes two? What happens when the passion dies? Real topic, real topic. We talked about the idea of debtors and collectors. We're all debtors to God, right? But God wiped the slate clean. No payback required. And relationships break down when we forget to give the same grace and we go from debtor to collector. We think we're God's bounty hunter and we go out to make people pay us back for the wrongs they committed against us. But just as we've had our debts wiped, we must wipe the debts of others. 
I love that point. It was so good. Man, lastly, well, we talked about a lot, a lot of things, but let's, let's finish on covenant versus contract. This is a goodie. We learned that marriage is not a contract. In our, in our world now, we always talk about contracts, right? But marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. And contracts are built on mutual distrust. It outlines how the relationship will end in the lawyer's office. If you screw me over, this is how I'm gonna screw you over. That's a contract pretty much. If it all goes wrong, all goes pear-shaped, this is how it's gonna work out. But a covenant is the terms of how we're gonna stay together, how we're gonna make it work. That's a vow. That's why you made vows if you got married because they're your, they're your terms of how you're gonna make this thing work. We learned that a covenant isn't convenient and it certainly wasn't for God or Jesus. It wasn't convenient for him when he was crying out blood, <laughs> sweating out blood, when he had nails driven through his hands, when he was given his will over to go on the cross, it wasn't convenient for him to keep his covenant, but we have a covenant keeping Jesus. And we're only here tonight because he kept his covenant. Sometimes in marriage, we need to keep our covenant because there's other people on the side of our covenant. It's a generational thing. I'm so thankful that we have a covenant keeping Jesus. So tonight as I unpack the word I believe God's laid on my heart, understand the depth that we're coming from. We haven't been talking about holding hands and making daisy chains. <laughs> Tonight, the title of my message is this, Everyone and No One. Or alternatively, you could call it No One and Everyone. Everyone and No One, or No One and Everyone. You see, everyone wants to talk about relationships. Just watch any TV program, whether it's like for five-year-olds or 50-year-olds, it's like Coronation Street, Barbie, and there's always relationships in it, right? It's like everyone wants to talk about relationships, but no one wants to start the conversation, and especially when it's about issues. I ain't talking about that. Everyone and no one. Alternatively, no one and everyone. No one wants to talk about their struggles and their dysfunctions, but oh man, are we more than happy to talk about everyone else's. Woo, get me Women's Day, get me any of those magazines, and wow, they are, they're just battling, they're bad people. Let's watch Love Island. These guys suck at relationships. By the way, don't watch that show. Um, but we're more than happy to talk about everyone else's, but we don't want to talk about our struggles. And the reason we don't want to talk about our struggles and issues is because of this thing called shame. Called shame. And it's weird how I was reflecting on my life and I thought, wow, the richest, most joyous, fulfilling things of my life is relationships. But at the same time, it's also the area of my greatest fear, my greatest failure, my greatest disappointment, and my greatest shame. How can something be so fulfilling and rich, yet so destructive and cause so much fear in my life and shame? Can we talk about relationships tonight? We, let's talk about relationships tonight. Jesus, we pray tonight that you would be in the midst of this. God, I thank you that you love us so dearly and I pray that you would come and do a great work in this place tonight. I thank you that you're gonna expel some lies and truth's gonna come and freedom's gonna come in this place. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. Let's turn to Genesis 2, 15 to 25 tonight. It was great, I listened to Will's message because I wasn't actually in the service when he preached, but he preached a lot of my message, which was awesome. Um, let's read, uh, so Genesis 2, 15 to 25 says this. 
The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then Lord God said, it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. Tonight, the first half of my message is around this idea of before shame. Before shame, or, or you could call it perfect love. Perfect love. And I thought we could start tonight by talking about love. I, I was fascinated. In my last year at university, we had an opportunity to write an essay, and there was lots of different questions you could choose from. One of them was, what is love? And out of a class of 60, I was the only one who wrote an essay on it. I was like, okay, we all want to talk about it, but no one's got any idea what we're talking about. <laughs> And I really enjoyed writing it. It took me three weeks to write it. Um, absolutely killed me, but it was good. So I want to talk about love tonight, and, and I want to talk about this notion of true love or perfect love. Because um, it's almost, it's, everyone's got an opinion on this, right? If you're either cynical about it, or you're like, I'm waiting for my true love. Um, so let's talk about it. Hey, in our language, we have this one word, love, but in the Greek, they have four words for love. I don't want to quickly look at them tonight. Hopefully, oh, look at that. Beautiful. So first off, we have this word, um, storgi. I don't know if I said that right. Storgi, storgi. And this is familial love. And this will help some of you because like sometimes, especially if you're young, maybe you're getting ripped out for loving your sister. You're like, hey, I don't love my sister. You do. It's, it's the storgi love. <laughs> it's familial love, right? So get them off your case. I do love them, but not that way. Uh, philia is friendship love the love I have between a friend. Maybe this helps someone as well because it's like, we're just friends. But you care about them. Yeah, but we're just friends. Um, that's filial love, unless there's ulterior motive. Um, then there is eros love, which is our sexual love. Everyone loves talking about that. And then, uh, unless we're in church. Um, and then there's agape love, which is unconditional love. So the Greek have four words for love, and I want to look at the bottom two tonight. So I want to look at eros and agape. Is that cool? You see, when it comes to love, um, everyone predominantly wants to talk about eros. <laughs> I want to talk about the romantic love. Because it, like, it's like, our oh, friends kind of have to love me. Family definitely have to love me. I don't know if God gets a choice either, but uh, eros, let's talk about eros love. Let's talk about that one, eh? Um, so I want to talk about that one. And um, yeah, let's do it. Can I, yeah, beautiful. Okay, so if we look at Eros love to start with, in essence, it's the sexual desire. And this word desire is an interesting one because it comes from the Greek word epithumia, which is a mutual word. So desire can either be, uh, it can be great or it can be bad. It depends how you use it. So um, often the church is negative around this word desire, but it's actually a mutual word. It can be good or bad, right? 
So there's sexual desire, and this is, uh, this is between two humans, uh, obviously. And C.S. Lewis, who, who wrote like The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe and all those great series, he's also a really well-known uh, academic uh, person and in the area of like philosophy, and he's a Christian. He calls this one, he wrote a book on love, and he calls it Need Love. So eros is need love, and that's because it's based on satisfaction of our needs. So if we're looking for someone, we want someone who's good for us, right? It's like, man, they're going to look good next to me. Whoo, I'm going to be the man walking down the street with her, right? And it's like, oh, man, she cooks so good. I want that in my life. Oh, man, she sings beautiful. Yeah, she's mine. And it's like everything's about actually self-referential for me, right? It's self-interested because it's like, I just want to look better. I just want to find what completes me more and makes my life better. Great? So everyone wants to talk about eros, but if we're truly going to talk about love tonight, we're going to look at agape. We have to look at agape. And agape love is this unconditional love. And regardless of whether you're talking in a Christian sense or Greek philosophy sense, they'll always mention God in this one or the presence of God. And this is about the unconditional love of God. And C.S. Lewis calls this one gift love. Gift love, and that's because it's just given. Regardless of whether it's good for me or not, I'll love you. It's like, you can't give me anything, but I'm still gonna love you, and that's why it's a gift love. And what I find fascinating about this one is C.S. Lewis says, if you love with a agape love, it may even come at a cost or detriment to the lover. That sounds a lot like a covenant, right? It's like, hey, right now, you being unfaithful towards me, or you having that attitude towards me is not really beneficial for me, but I love you unconditionally. Even if it costs me, I'm gonna love you because that's the decision I've made, right? So agape is super important. And I believe in society, love's been constructed as this thing that, uh, or emotion or quality that you have to find, right? Everyone's like, I'm looking for love. Looking for love, searching for the one to complete me, searching for the one. And it's like, you have to find it, right? This, this idea that you have to find love. But perhaps um, we were not designed to, to search for love, rather we were designed to receive love. Perhaps we weren't designed to search for it, perhaps we were truly designed to receive it. Agape, gift love, God's love. You see, we're just reading from, from Genesis where it established that before what I was reading, that God created everything on earth, He placed it. So it makes sense that he placed love, right? It's not like just left field, love just came out of nowhere. It's like, no, God placed it in 1 John 4, verse 8, it actually says God is, God is love. So it would make sense that he who is love is the only one who could place love. I think that makes sense. Um, so when we're talking about love, I'm meaning agape love, God's love. You see, Adam and Eve experienced the fullness of this agape love when in the garden. They experienced the fullness of it and it would have been so great. And how do I know that agape love was present? Because in verse 25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. No shame. It's like, hey, completely exposed. Uh, completely exploded. Well, completely exposed, yet ju not judged. It's like, I'm unafraid. Completely exposed, yet unafraid. Unafraid of appearing unlovable. Unafraid of vulnerability. Unafraid of what I'm presenting on the table because they knew they were loved unconditionally. What a cool place to be. Agape place without judgment. Another thing that tells me that agape was present is this. The possibility, possibility to love another human only enters when Eve enters, right? Before it's just one human. I'm searching for the one. There is none. <laughs> 
But then Eve's created and the possibility to love another human enters. But at the time of Eve's creation, there was no need for eros, sexual love between them, right? Because in verse 8, it says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Helper. Notice God didn't say lover. He said helper. You see, I believe Eve was not required to love Adam because there was no lack in Adam's life with regard to love. He was already complete, completed in God's agape love. Why do you need the love of another if you've already been completed by God? At least in the garden sense. You see, this idea of completion, man, <laughs> the world loves this idea of completion, right? Like, I'm looking for the one who completes me. I think this is all. I think I found the one. I'm a whole person. It's like, no, I'm looking for the one who completes me and it's like one of the most common phrases. But, but what completes is a question I believe is often misdirected. What completes? You see, I would argue that completion is unattainable without the presence of agape love. God's love. And it's like, yeah, Eros, Eros has a place. It has a place. But if you're placing your hope in completion via another human, you're gonna be disappointed. And on top of that, you're placing a massive burden on your spouse because they can't replace God. I can't replace God. I think so many relationships might break down because of this reason. So I'm looking for you to love me like God, but really you're still a human. As a Christian, I believe the full completion may only be achieved through the presence of agape. That's my opinion. You don't have to agree. And maybe right now, if you're intelligent, you've been thinking, well, I've got God's love. I received God in my life. I have His love, right? He's in my life. So why then do I desire the love of another human being if I've already said to be complete through agape? Great question. I'm glad you asked. Let's turn to Genesis 3, 1 to 11, and that might help us out. Genesis 3, 1 to 11 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you would die. You will not certainly die, said the serpent. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid, they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? crazy moment. I think Adam and Eve sometimes get a bit of stick from us Christians, but who knows, those people could have been called Mad and Abby. <laughs> and we, we would have still been in the same predicament because it's just humans. Man, powerful. Um, this next part of what I want to talk about is called aftershame or the age of alteration. Aftershame or the age of alteration. And I believe that answer to that question, so why then do I desire the love of another human being if agape love is said to complete? I believe we can find it in the full, the answer in the full. 
See, prior to the form which sent into the world, as you know, I'd argue that agape love was the only love present required to complete. But at the fall, something happened to agape. Agape didn't disappear. It was still there unconditionally. God was still walking in the garden, still had a heart unconditional for his creation. But the enemy got in and distorted it. He put doubt in there. And that verse 25, and I mean, chapter two, verse 25, we read that. Now the man and his wife both naked, but they felt no shame. A distinct lack of shame at their nakedness. All was presented on the table to be evaluated, but evaluation was not present because agape was. But so then when did evaluation and shame enter? It entered at Genesis 3, 6 and 7. The devil got a hold of some stuff he should have never got a hold of. Said, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some of her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly found shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Verse seven, the moment the shame entered the world. And interesting, it says, uh, Adam and Eve felt shame at their nakedness, not their sin. Felt shame at their nakedness, not their sin. That which they previously never questioned. Their nakedness, their vulnerability now becomes the very thing that they most fear. What? They construct garments out of fig leaves to hide from one another and hide among the trees so God who unconditionally loves them would not see them. In verse 10, Adam replies to God saying, he was afraid because he was naked. At which God replies, who told you that you were naked? You see, God knew he made Adam naked, but he knew that he never purposed it to evoke fear and shame. Fear, shame, hiding garments would not be required if only agape love was present and thus enters this function and along with it, the problem of eros. You're like, where's this going? Now, eros love became a way of attempting to discover a substitute for agape love. Eros began to seek oneness where agape love had once satisfied. The history of where we are now. Please don't mishear me here. Eros is not bad in itself. As I said, desire, mutual word. God still created it. If you read on Genesis 3, verse 16, uh, God places Eve's desire for Adam. He still placed it, but it causes dysfunction when it acts alone without agape. It causes dysfunction when it acts alone without agape. And that's where so much, I believe, has gone wrong with us. When we try to use Eros love to complete us instead of receiving the love of God. Eros begins to seek oneness and completion where agape once satisfied. With the full began the age of alteration. The age of alteration. Love in the form of Eros can be placed or displaced. And therefore the age of masks and facades and alterations becomes normal in an attempt to earn completion. Eros rather than receive completion. You gotta earn this thing now. You gotta look prettier. You gotta look stronger. You gotta work on your character. You gotta go to the gym. You gotta earn this thing now. Wow, you gotta work on that attitude because no one's gonna love you like that. You gotta earn this love now. What are you doing? Don't just sit around, don't be yourself. You gotta earn it. Eros love. So we try to earn something that we were actually purposed to receive, agape. Man, this is heavy. (laughs) So another love just entered and that love error says, you don't just get given love, you have to earn it and what you've done was wrong, so how could you deserve it? That rhymed, that was nice. Eros love says, you don't just get given love, you have to earn it and you've done wrong, so how could you deserve it? Adam and Eve, 
ashamed, not of their sin, but of their nakedness. Our vulnerability as humans brings great shame. I don't know about you, but I realize I'm quite frail. I have a nature that sins and that freaks me out. I so dearly wanna seek what's right in life, but why have I got this draw to this thing, darkness as well? Our frailty, our vulnerability brings great shame. So in an attempt to still appear lovable, we mask ourselves. Everyone masks themselves. Presenting that which we know to be more lovable and at the same time like Adam and Eve, covering our nakedness and hiding our vulnerabilities. I wasn't expecting lots of amens in this one, by the way, guys. So your, quiet, your quietness is little. <sighs> so at the full, shame enters and we consider ourselves unworthy of love, of the love of God that we once received without question. The devil loves to use our shame to make us believe we're unlovable. And therefore we separate ourselves from God and from others. We live in a society that has never been more separated yet connected. So connected with all those good highlight bits of our life, but so disconnected in the areas that truly matter when we're asleep at night or gone to bed. Crazy. Mm, heavy. <laughs> Many people when asked what attracts them to their beloved will cite something like this. I can just be myself around them without being judged. It's like, ah, oh, man, so good. I just be myself around them and they don't judge me. But I wanna suggest that even to some degree, even that which we present to our beloved as our true selves is still somewhat masked. Still somewhat masked. And we mask our broken reality in favour of presenting that which we know to be more lovable. We've watched enough movies to say what's lovable. We've seen enough Instagram posts that we know what's more lovable. So we'll mask that which is not in favour of that which is. We're much like Adam and Eve. Fear of being unlovable, shame. <laughs> hey, but I got some good news. <laughs> The devil's a liar. He's a liar and there's freedom in the name of Jesus. There's freedom in the name of Jesus. And um, Stephen Furtick said this amazing quote. He said, if, source, if, if shame is the source of our problem, then shame cannot be the solution to our problem. He said himself, he said, I've preached too many messages where I'm trying to evoke shame so that people will turn from their ways. He says, shame doesn't work. If shame is the source, it cannot be the solution. If shame is the source of where it all went wrong, then let's not use shame to get us back on track. Sometimes we're weird as humans. We're like, man, if I just feel shame, I'm gonna change my ways. And then if, it's, if we don't do that, maybe we just shame someone else so they're not looking at our mess. And it's like, this shame thing's never gonna work. It's never gonna work. You see, in our broken humanity, sometimes we try to fix us through shame or try to distract from us through shame. I realized as writing this that sometimes I like to do this. I like to shame someone else so that, or point out the shame of someone else so it's not on me. Let's all talk about the dysfunction of someone else. I can't believe it. How did they do that? Wow. No, 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 no. <laughs> I got shame too. I got shame too. So what's the solution to the problem of shame? I want to know it. Maybe you want to know it too. Um, yeah, because I'm sick of talking about everyone else's dysfunctions. I want to be healed. I want to be healed. So what is the solution? Hey, I've got a, a clip from the series we've been watching. And I think it's great. And I think it's funny, and I think you need a smile and a laugh right now. Um, 
So I'm going to go to that. And this is an incredible clip. It's five minutes long. And I think it's gold. Uh, it's with Stephen Furtick and Holly Furtick. And they're just going to share some absolute gold. Uh, it's hilarious. I hope you enjoy it. And I'll be back soon. Cool. I am called to let God be God. Let's talk about that, Holly. Let God be God. Tell them that story about the mom and the pancakes. It's a great story. Okay, so there's, there's this mom. You may have heard this story before. She was making pancakes for her two little boys, and they started to argue about who would get the first pancake. And so the mom said to herself, I'm going to take this, make this a teachable moment. She looked at her boys, and she said, boys, you know, if Jesus were here, he would want his brother to have the first pancake. And the older little boy looked at his younger brother and said, you be Jesus. Nice. <laughs> nice. That's what we do in marriage, you know? We, we don't want to focus on our own calling. We don't want to do the things that God has called us to do. We want to look at our spouse and say, you be Jesus. You say, I'm sorry. I'm not saying I'm sorry first. I'm going to wait this out. You be Jesus. But then the second part of it is, you be Jesus so I'm not saying don't tell him to be you. You be Jesus to your spouse and then let God be God. And I love how Philippians 2.8 says about Jesus and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus did his part. He was obedient. And then God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. When I focus on what God wants me to do, then I can let God work on him. And I love, my boys always remind me of this because inevitably this happens probably of once a week. being like Jesus? No, <laughs> of letting God be God. Inevitably in our house, probably about once a week, I'll say, boys, go clean your room. They share a room together. And, you know, they'll go upstairs. Oh, you know, they do the whole thing. They, they go upstairs and a few minutes will pass by, it'll be quiet, and then inevitably you start to hear this fight brewing. And you start to hear them yelling at each other, and then the yelling gets louder. And then in our house, Graham, who's the younger one, he starts to cry, and it's just this loud, like, I'm hurt cry, and the whole drama thing. And so I go upstairs, and the room is not clean. It looks exactly the same as it looked before. Graham's on the floor, you know, in a puddle of tears and drama, and he's saying, he punched me. And I'll look at Elijah like, what's going on? And he'll say, Graham wouldn't clean up. You look at him like, what? <laughs> say it the way you really say it. What did you do? That's a halfway there. And he'll say, Graham, Graham, Graham wouldn't clean up. He wouldn't, he wouldn't clean up. Well, Elijah, your bed is unmade. Your drawers are all still open. You your towel's it. on the floor. You've got to let me be the mom. You're not the mom. I'm the mom. You do what you need to do and let me take care of Graham if he's not going to clean up his part. And don't you feel like that's what God is looking oh down at us Oh, my God. Saying? Preach. Preach, Sister Holly. God looks down on his children fighting and says, would you let me be the father? Quit trying to straighten them out. Maybe I'd like to straighten you out. Don't make me, don't make me come downstairs. I'll straighten y'all both out. Let God be God. We got, we got to go to the next point. We could talk about that all day, but 
but let God be God. He's way better at his job than you could ever be. And some of us are engaging in things of trying to fix people in marriages that are above our pay grade, frankly. Yeah. And God wants his job back. And if you be Jesus like God be God, then he'll take care of that. He's way better at fixing that person than you are. If you get out of the way, he might do it. The very thing that you're He can whisper in a minute something that it would take me months to nag you about. Say it again. And everybody in the church tweeted at once. He can do he can say he it. He can whisper in, in in just a snap of a finger. He can whisper into my husband's ear something that I've been nagging to him for for months about. If you would just if I would just focus on me and let God work on him. And God, trust that God, God will work on him. God will do it. It's true. God wants to whisper what you've been trying to shout if you'll shut your mouth. Yeah, that deserves a clap. Come on. If one claps, we all clap, even if it's for Stephen and Holly. Man, we've had such fun in this series. But I love what it says there, how you be Jesus. <laughs> We're talking about this at Frogs. Uh, we had someone on a restricted license, unnamed. It was past the time. And they're like, oh, no. Like, and then they're like, yeah, breaking the rule. I'm like, hey, well, if the cop pulls you over and he says, uh, man, why are you out past your sip? You just look at him and go, you be Jesus. You forgive me, policeman. <laughs> I love that idea. Hey, you be Jesus. And I've been using this with all my friends lately. You be Jesus. Um, but also let God be God. And I think that holds an answer to our shame problem. I really do. Um, I wonder if more people would get free from their shame if we worked on loving like Jesus and allowed God to address issues in people's lives. If we love like Jesus, and I love how it says, let God be God. I know He said like, don't make me come downstairs. It sounds like God's this God of judgment, right? But we also know that God is agape love, unconditional love. So when you let God be God, there's an unconditional love that you can't give. But yeah, why don't we just try to be Jesus, be gracious and loving. So good. Sometimes I, I love what seems he said, we think we're God's bounty hunter. <laughs> I've been saved. Now I'm gonna go catch everyone else gonna hunt them down and make them turn from their ways. No, not at all. Here's some truth. People don't need you to point out what they're doing wrong, their shame. What they need for you is for you to love like Jesus. They need you to love like Jesus. And we know that Jesus doesn't use shame. There's a great story where a woman who's caught in the act of adultery, not just like, hey, I heard through the grapevine, you're an adulterous woman. <laughs> So I know caught in the actual act of, of adultery and Jesus is at this uh, gathering. So everyone gathers publicly to shame her and stone her. Um, but Jesus reminded them that we all sin and therefore could we all lay down our rocks and show some grace and love towards one another. You see, uh, the law of the time actually um, commanded the people to stone the woman. <laughs> it's like they weren't doing anything outside the law. They were actually fulfilling the law. Um, and Jesus would have been well uh, he would have known of this, this truth um, that there were grounds for stoning her, but he also noted that there were grounds for forgiveness. Same grounds for stoning her meant that there were grounds for forgiveness. Jesus didn't use shame. So let's be Jesus. <laughs> let's be Jesus. I was thinking about this and I was like, have you ever found yourself saying this line, man, they only got away with that because of the relationship they have with them. 
Sometimes we say it as a joke. Like someone says a joke about someone, you're like, man, they only got away with saying that joke because of the relationship they have with them. Like if I tell a joke about Will, Pastor Will up here, and then you'd be like, oh, he only got away with that because he has the relationship with a man. Imagine if someone else said that, super awkward, right? So we say it as a joke, like, man, they only got away with that because of the relationship they have with them. Most of the time, though, I believe it's judgmental. Man, they only got away with that because of the relationship. Man, they only get away with coming late to work every day because of the relationship they have with their boss. Man, they only get, a, get away with that lazy behaviour because of the relationship they have. Man, they only get away with not doing the dishes because their wife's got this relationship with their husband that's like ridiculous. And I think sometimes we've been so judgmental. I was challenged recently around the idea of, of pastors and when, when they have a moral failing or something like that. And some, I've seen some of them restored. And I'm like, man, they only got away with that because of the relationship they have with that pastor. Why am I thinking like that? That pastor is a friend showing the grace of Jesus Christ, the restorative grace. Man, they only got away with it because of the relationship they have with them. Isn't our very salvation based on such a relationship? Man, aren't you glad that you got away with and still get away with some stuff because of the relationship you have with Jesus and God? None of us would be here. None of us would have gotten away with anything. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. It says in His Word, it says in my nature, I know it to be true day by day. But because of the relationship I have with God and with Jesus, sometimes I get away with some stuff. Now, that sounds dangerous, man. What's this get away with some stuff? What's this get away with some stuff business? Maybe we need to change our mindset of judging people who we think got away with it when they shouldn't have. And right now you might be thinking, Matt, are you saying you just let them get away with it? Let them get away with their wrongs? And I'm like, yes and no. You see, your shame will never get your friends, spouse or family to turn from their sin. Your shame will never do that. What you need to give is grace. And I know grace sounds dangerous and hard. I know it sounds like you're just letting them get away with it. But your grace doesn't just let them get away with it. It allows them to get away from it. Your grace doesn't allow them to get away with it. They don't just get a clean slate. It allows them to get away from it, from that issue of sin. When you give grace, they're able to get away from it. You see, a common perception of God is that He sits in heaven smiting people. So I talked to so many of my friends, I couldn't come to church because I'll get smited. Walk in the door and the building will fall over. You don't understand how bad I am. And I wonder, like, I don't believe that's God. And I don't think that perception comes from God. I think it comes from the way us Christians sometimes act sometimes. It's like we just get our finger out. We're like, shame, shame. You're the wrong. Turn from your ways. Shame, 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 shame. But what happened to grace? Grace, grace, grace. What happened to the embrace of grace? Between Jesus coming to earth and showing us, hey, grace and love is what it's about. Why have we gone so wrong so many times? Grace. Maybe right now, if you know the Bible, you're going, Matt, you've missed the truth. <laughs> you need grace and truth. Yes, you do. You do need grace and truth. Because it says in His Word, they will know the truth and the truth will set them free. It does say that, so I'm not denying you need truth, but I'm saying you need both. You need truth and grace. You see, truth will set you free, but the grace will keep you proximal to God whilst the truth takes root. 
The truth will set you free, free, but grace will keep you proximal to God whilst the truth takes root. Truth will set you free, but grace will keep you proximal to God. And the God you're proximal, proximal to will set you free, whether it's in an instant or through a process. The God you are proximal to will set you free. Adam and Eve hid out of shame. They distanced themselves from the very thing that was love. Your grace pulls them right back to God. When you feel ashamed, unworthy like Adam and Eve, you distance yourself from God. And by doing so, you distance yourself from the very thing that can save you, heal you, free you, and unconditionally love you. Devil's a pain in the butt. Come on, your grace doesn't just allow them to get away with it, it allows them to get away from it. Because your grace keeps them proximal to God and the God they are proximal to will eventually free them. You're not God's bounty hunter. You're there to love like Jesus and let God be God. Come on, let's not let shame have a position in the church. It's a weapon of the enemy, it's not of Jesus. I say let shame go in Jesus' Name. Let it go. What's the solution? If shame is the source of our problem, what's the solution? I believe it's here. What if at every instance we tried to mirror agape love, unconditional love? If we looked at another with the same unconditional eyes that God looks at us with? If the same grace that we were given, we could give to one another? What if we could love with agape love with the knowledge that we need it to? I think we'd be given permission to come out of hiding. Come out! to come out of alteration, to step out from behind our facades. This is what I love about Agape. I wrote this in my essay and I think it's a divine moment from God. Agape love does not evaluate or choose to love. It simply loves despite attractive or unattractive character. Part of our being longs for unconditional love due to its release from the notion of attainability. Agape love requires one to attain nothing in order to obtain love. God's love is crazy. I don't get it. I don't get how it can be so unconditional, but we need it. That's why in marriage it's a three chord strand. Because, yeah, you got your wife, the husband, but you need God. And our greatest endeavors in humans, we can never love like God can. But when you have the three-quartered strand, agape love, unconditional love's always present. If you're not being the best husband on that day, God still loves your wife. (laughs) We need it in our friendships. Come on, without God's love in our life, how can I love another friend? Because I'll think I'm God's bounty hunter and I'll go from debtor to collector. We need God. We need God. God's love's so free. Tonight, I feel like God's just given you the permission to come out of hiding because there's no one in this place right now who doesn't recognise that there's shame in their life. No one. And and I feel like right now, it's gonna be a time of great vulnerability, but I don't see anyone having the right to judge anyone right now because I've just said like, no, we're all in this together, right? So tonight, I know we've gone quite long, but I do wanna open up the altar. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded at Equippers Church, Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipperschurch.com.